Let's bow our head again in prayer. Father, we thank you again for your word. We pray you'll help us to understand it. And then by the Spirit to apply it to our hearts and lives. We find that perhaps sometimes this is the most difficult part. We hear a message, uh, we believe it, we may understand it to a large extent. But then the application of it to our hearts, to our lives, day by day, that we find so difficult. Bless us in that. Now we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now I need to give a little bit of introduction um, to Lamentations chapter 4. You will know, as I've already said, we've looked at chapter 3, we've looked at lots of lovely, what I call lovely, precious little verses, and I trust they've been a help and encouragement to us, and they have been to me, I confess freely. I thought then, well, perhaps we'll just finish off the next um, few weeks that I'm here and um, look at chapter 4 briefly and perhaps chapter 5 and so on. And then I read chapter 4. Oh, it is so depressing. It is dismal. It is horrific. There are things here in this passage, and well, perhaps you didn't realize uh, because there are some old words that you might not have fully understood. There are horrendous things in this passage. I thought, oh, as almost, as almost as I said to the Lord, Lord, do you, do you want me to go and tell them about this? They say to me, we were depressed before we came. Now we're worse. You're saying these things. Why don't you just keep on the nice little things we've been talking about, thinking about in Lamentations 3? Why have you got to go here? Well, I think firstly, this is God's word. Every bit of the Bible is God's word. We believe in that in God's word from beginning to end. All scripture given by the inspiration of God and is profitable and so forth. Paul writes, he says, the things that were written beforehand were written for our instruction and so on. So it's not just the, what might call the nice little bits, the comforting little bits, even the difficult bits, even the very hard things are written for our instruction. Now, we have to be careful how we apply the things. I realize that. But here are things that are for us. And as I read through it and looked a bit, and, and um, actually I actually listened to a, to a sermon from America on this. You, you can listen to yourself, sermon audio, where our sermons go online. Sermon audio, there's a man there called Ralph Dale Davis. I think that's his name. Yeah, he's, he's well known in America. I've, I've heard him quoted by good men and I listened to him and boy does he suck it to him um, and if I say anything as good it's probably come from him right but there we are I acknowledge it this is a difficult chapter and as we go through it it's going to get worse and worse and worse but at the end there's a light hallelujah for that and you'll be saying to me Colin please get to it please get to it as quick as we can well, all right, having told you all that, and I haven't pre-warned you as it were, heads up and all that, let's just remind you of what it's about. You see, Jeremiah's gone through his first few chapters, and chapter 3, and we think, right, he's coming to the end of it now. He's looked at the terrible things that have happened. He knows that the things that have happened are because of the people's sin. Get that clear. The people of God, Israel, uh, they'd been up and down and up and down and God had warned them and told them and he'd brought uh, things against them uh, and they repented and returned and they repented and returned. Uh, judges is a 
good example of this. Uh, so often they turned from God. God sent the enemies upon them. God sent famine upon them. Uh, according to the promises in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the covenant promise of going into the land, I've told you all about that. And, and uh, they'd come and confess, and then God would have mercy upon them and deal, deliver them from their enemies, and they'd be a good time. And then back they'd go again, and back God would say, right, this is going to come upon you, and you up and down, up and down, all the way through judges. And finally, in Jeremiah, it's also recorded in Kings and Chronicles, finally God says, enough is enough. You've gone so far from me in your lifestyle, in your practices, in your beliefs, the worst thing you've done is you've forsaken me, the fountain of life, and you've forsaken me, and you've hewn out broken cisterns contain no water. Not only have you left me, you've gone after other gods, and pagan gods, and pagan ideas, and idols. And enough is enough. I'm going to put you out of the land. The ultimate curse, out of the land. The land of promise, the land of plenty, the land of good things. Out you go. And God is going to bring the, brought the Babylonians to take them away. Oh, it's horrendous. And it's almost as if, having got, gone through chapter 3, he now returns to the position in chapter 4 and think, you know, this is dreadful. It's almost as if he's seen more and more. I don't know. This is a bit of my imagination. I could see him writing these things, perhaps, and, and, and chapter 3, and thinking of the lovely things about God and his faithfulness and compassion, and looks out the window, and he sees things happening out there in the streets. And I think, oh, this is horrendous. Well, let's have a little look at some of the things that were happening. Now, I'm going to suggest that, to me, some of these things... Are happening today. I wouldn't want to equate the UK with Israel, all right, or the West with uh, with uh, Israel. What's happening? But God deals with nations. God deals with peoples, and we need to remember that God is sovereign and God is holy and God is righteous. The world doesn't want to know this. The world wants a heavenly Father Christmas. The world was somebody who would give them what they want and be kind and generous to them and bless them uh, and when they wanted, as they wanted. But they don't want to worship a God who is holy, holy, holy. They don't like to think of a God of righteousness and wrath and anger. We don't like that kind of God. We don't want that kind of God. And even in pulpits this morning, there will be those who advocate a God who is all love and all mercy. And this wrath and judgment, that's, that's not God. That's the God of the Old Testament. That's not the God of the New Testament. This lovely Jesus, he's so lovely and kind and considerate. I wouldn't say boo to a... a, a, a a mouse. They don't read the Bible. God hasn't changed from the old to the new. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one person in the New Testament that speaks more about hell than anybody else. And final judgment. Oh, we, don't want that. we don't want that Jesus. We want the nice Jesus. You can't pick and choose. The nice Jesus died for our sins and rose again. 
he bore the wrath of God in his own body on the tree on behalf of all his people and those who trusted him. But this nice Jesus will one day judge. And all who have not repented and trusted in him, he will send to hell. Same Jesus. Nice Jesus. Holy Jesus. Righteous Jesus. And we need to get this. This is scary stuff. But it's serious. It's serious. So, I was going to give this a little title. What is precious to you? Now, that's a question, isn't it? What is precious to you this morning? What comes immediately to mind? I suspect that most of us would say family. That which is most precious to me this morning is my family. Husband, wife, parents, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. That's most precious. My health is precious to me. And you'd go through various things. And there might be a little list you could write down of quite a number of things. Then I might say to you, okay, where does Jesus come in the list? Oh, 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 oh yeah. But God's us top of the list. He's most important. He's most precious. Peter talks about the Lord Jesus. He is precious to those that believe, whom have we not seen ye love. He'd be coarse, he'd be top, he'd be number one. He, he's the most precious. Well, you could put it on a list, but does it work out in experience? Does it work out in your life day by day? Is he actually number one? Or are there other things that actually come before him, including yourself and your self-interest? That's very challenging, isn't it? I don't want to spend time on that, but that's the thought. Because what we find in chapter 4 is that that which was esteemed, if you prefer, or that which was held high by the folk in Jerusalem has suddenly gone right down. So, for example, verse 1, how has the gold become dim, the most fine gold? Stones of the sanctuary. Here's this building. It was so wonderful. The temple, the gold and, and silver, all the wonderful things. And it's been trampled. It's been chucked out. It's been thrown on the streets. There's nothing sacred anymore. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold. How are they esteemed as earthen pictures? That which is most sacred was more sacred, is now trampled underfoot. You think of the number of places of worship that are now warehouses, garages, worst Hindu temples, Muslim temples, where the God, great God of heaven was now worshipped, now they say in prayers to Allah, now they got their multiplicity of Hindu gods. How dreadful is that? And various other things. I was converted in a little Presbyterian church in Pencoid, South Wales. And uh, when my best man died some months ago, I asked his daughter, and then his wife died, if they had a book I could keep from them to remind me, remind me of them. And they said, we've got this photo. Would you like to keep this photo of my village? I said, oh, thank you. He knows the link. And I looked at this photo. And this is just an amazing providence. 
It's a photo of the little street that goes down through the village. And on the left, the picture of the church, Trinity Presbyterian Church. Wow. Oh. And then, a couple of months back, I'm told it's been knocked down to build flats because nobody goes there anymore. How sad is that? I remember it being full. Now, this is what's happening to Zion. This is what's happening in Jerusalem. All right? Uh, and then he makes comparisons. The sea monsters, probably jackals, right? Draw out the breast. They give suck to the young ones. They, the animal creation is better off than the human creation and shows, shows more compassion. The daughter of my people is becoming cruel. Like the ostrich, now apparently what I've read, the ostrich is a, appears to be cru cruel because it, it lays an egg, then runs off. Now, there may be a reason for that in the natural world. It may be that if a, 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 a predator comes, the ostrich will run away, so the predator will follow the ostrich and leave the egg alone. I don't know, but it appears that the ostrich is very cruel. And what uh, uh, Jeremiah said, the people of God are cruel. The things they're doing, they're cruel on the animals in the animals' world. The tongue of the sucking, suckling children cleaves to the roof of the mouth. The young people ask for bread, and no, no one breaks it. There is no one looking after the children. There's no one feeding the children. I, I, if you're a normal person here this morning, whether you're a parent or not, but if you're just a normal human being, doesn't, aunt, doesn't your heart ache when you see all these pictures of children who are starving throughout the world? Now, I know, because I'm a grown-up, I know that the, the organizations that have propagated this, it could be Christian, it could be otherwise, they always focus on this little lad who's crying because he's starving. Now, I know they do that deliberately because you feel sorry and you'll give money. I know what the real world is about. But nevertheless, it's true. Hundreds and thousands of little ones are starving. And other places have so much. So much. Now, they did feed delicately and now desolate in the Streets. They were brought up in the scarlet embraces dungeons. Now, this, this, one I, this man I listened to, he says, here are the high people in high places, and they've been brought to ruin. They've been brought to ruin. They who had so much, uh, and we waste so much, do we not? We have so much, and uh, the, the food they throw away could feed a nation. And he uses this expression, here's the people who've dwelt so high. They now round the back in the wheelie bins, the back of McDonald's looking for scraps to eat. What a world. And that's happening. And it's happened literally. This is not just uh, hyperbole. This is not just kind of figurative. This has happened in Jerusalem. Those who are quite high have been made low. The punish for the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom. Now, I thought about this. I'll quote a verse to back up what I'm saying in a moment. But let me tell you this first of all. The sin of Sodom was homosexual practice. Let's not pretend about it. That's what it was. It's, sodomy is another word for homosexual practice. And you know I've said it so often. Uh, it's, it's, it's an abomination to me. 
and I hope to you, because it's an abomination to Scripture. And the worst thing about LGBT plus and all the rest of the nonsense is contrary to creation. There are lots of sins that are wrong, obviously, that are, uh, but you, you, you can't trace them right back to creation. Here is a system, a lifestyle that wants to turn creation upside down. God made male and God made female. That's what Jesus said. Male and female, he made it. And this now wants to turn that up. So you're not necessarily male anymore. You're not necessarily a female anymore. It depends on what you feel, what you think. God said male. God said female. And it's a complete attack on creation. Another thing. Abortion. Abortion is the death of a baby. Creation is life. Go forth, said God to the man and to the woman. Go forth and multiply. Have babies. That's part of my creational order. That's part of the plan for the human race. Men and women have babies together. And they said, no, it's not convenient for me to have this baby. Put it to death. Put it to death. Now, before someone says, oh, well, what about the problem? The majority, if you look at the statistics, if you're interested in such things, I think something 95% are social reasons. Not because there's something wrong with a baby or because of rape or some incest or whatever. Social reasons. Now, if you think that's bad, I'm going to tell you something that's worse. You say to me, how can anything be worse than that? This is horrendous stuff you're telling us. How can it be anything worse than that? Well, I will tell you. Because it says here, for example, uh, the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of Sodom. But Jesus said something. And this is what Jesus said. He said, Woe unto you, Capernaum. If the things that have been done in but have been done here, were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they'd have been spared. So, because you have acted and reacted in this way, i.e. rejected the gospel, your judgment will be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. <gasps> wow! Jesus is saying, Jeremiah is saying, there are worse sins than all of sodomy and uh, homosexuality and abortion that are worse sins. You say, how can anything be worse than that? When Jeremiah says it, Jesus says it, it's a rejection of the gospel. Here are people who heard the Lord Jesus speak. Here are people who saw his miracles and they said, we don't want this Jesus. We don't want to believe in this Messiah. We don't want, he demands too much of us. He wants us to repent and give our lives to him. We don't want to do that. We're happy to have little bits and pieces from him, but we don't want him. And in that day, greater will be their judgment than even that of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what the Bible says. Now that's serious, isn't it? Because it means there are people in church this morning throughout the land, throughout the world, and they're, they're nice people, they're kind people, they're not immoral people, uh, and, and so forth, but they're self-righteous. 
and they're smiling and say, oh, uh, oh I know what you're saying, you kind of fundamentalist, you, whatever you call it, they call us, yeah, but, uh, uh, you know, we don't need the salvation. We're not saying that Jesus is not a savior, are we? and he is a savior for some, you know, but, you know, we, we don't need that savior. We're quite happy as we are, and we live little lives, and we give money to charity, and we do this, and we're okay. And their whole basis of hoping to go to heaven is based on what they are and what they do. And God says no, no, a thousand times no. There'll be nobody in heaven who deserves to be there apart from Jesus. Every single other person is a sinner saved by grace. Are they not there at all? I remember there was a catastrophe years ago, a catastrophe, calamity, I forget what it was, whether it was a natural disaster or um, a killing, you know, that kind of terrible things are going on. And somebody asked the bishop, I forget his name, they said, but where was your God in all these things? And he said, oh, God had nothing to do with this. God had nothing to do with this. It's almost as if God either didn't know it was taking place, or if he didn't know, he couldn't do anything about it, or if he could, he didn't care anyway. What a peculiar thing to say. And there are people who have such a low view of God. They can't even say, well, well, God has allowed this, but I don't know why. They can't get the fact that God is actually in charge of all things and is sovereign. Now, again, we have to be careful. We know why this is happening, these terrible things. We know why this is happening, because of people's sin. Let me take you to another scenario, which I've often taken you to, the, what happened to Job. What happened to Job and his suffering and the, and the loss of all things was not because of his sin. The Bible makes that quite clear. In a sense, it's not because of his sin, but because he sought to live a righteous, holy life before God. And the enemy says to God, yeah, yeah, you know, people only serve you for what they get away And God says, well, think about Job. Yeah, well, let me get at him. I'll soon, sorry about it. He'll soon, he'll soon sin. He'll soon stop trusting. And of course, Job didn't. He went through the trial. Some of his mates said, these things are happening to you because you're a great sinner. This is why all these things come upon you, because you're a great sinner and you're a secret sinner and come on, confess, and you'll be healed and be delivered. And Job says, I don't know. I can't see. I'm a great sinner. I've sought to live righteously before God by his grace. So we go carefully. But in this instance, this is God dealing severely with his people. And my Bible teaches me that God sometimes does deal severely with his people because he loves them and will chastise them for their good. Right, the Hebrews talks about this, doesn't it? About God chastising his children. If we weren't his children, he wouldn't chastise us. You know what it is, you who are parents, you see some other's some children, and you think, oh, why don't that parents discipline that lad, that girl? Why don't they deal with them? And they think, well, none of my business, because it's not she, he doesn't belong to me. If they want to raise a little brat, a bratess, or whatever female is of equivalent, if they want to raise a brat, let them raise a brat. It's nothing to do with me. 
God, you see, takes care of his children. And if they need to be chastised, he will deal with them appropriately. Because, says the writer, because he loves them and wants their best. Because that little brat who is not dealt with when he's three and continues to be a brat when he's ten and continues when he's a teenager, he'll grow up to be a spoiled brat adult. No good to anybody. So, just continue for a little while. Her Nazarite, she's the, the top people in Israel. Her Nazarites were so pure and holy outwardly. Now they're, 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 they look black and dark and their skin cleaves to them and so it's like stick. And those that are slain with a sword are better than they that are slain with hunger because being slain with a sword is immediate death. Hunger goes on and on and on and on for months and years sometimes. It's a terrible situation here. Verse 10, I'm not going to stay with because it's horrendous. But I tell you it was there. I read it because it's there. The hands of the spiteful have sodden, that means boiled, their own children. They were meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. You say, oh, that, that can't happen. It did happen in two kings, and you can read about it, but I won't stay with it. It's horrendous. Verse 11. The Lord has accomplished his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger and has killed a fire in Zion and has devoured the foundations thereof. When COVID came along, it seemed to me that it attacked three areas of which were so precious to people. High on the agenda. Their health their wealth, and their leisure. And those three areas went suddenly went. Now, this is a personal view. You might share it. But I believe that it was a direct judgment of God on the whole world who's rejected him. And you'd think they would learn a lesson. But have they? No. And I'm fearful of what will come upon the world in days to come if God doesn't visit us with mercy and revival things could get worse and it's touching us where it hurts and every day we have people who have problems because of the energy crisis and the price rates and all that kind of horrendous things horrendous things uh, somebody said to me yesterday that they passed a church and there was a whole queue of people outside the church said, oh what's going on in the church is it a big meeting or something special it was a food bank. And all these people line up. Go to food banks. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy should have entered the gates. It was at that time almost impregnable. They'd so built the walls, strengthened the walls in the days of, uh, I think it was Hezekiah. They, they so built, built these walls, it was impossible to get in. And there these great sieges, these, these, these things, they would build uh, engines, siege engines, they call them. They would build like a ramp, and they'd go up there, and even those were, were, were thrown off, uh, and all kinds of things. It was almost impregnable. But God let them come in. God let them come in. Why has this been so much heresy in the church? The last century, really, beginning of the 19th century, it came in from Germany. Um, educated people started to deny the Bible, 
denying the miracles, denying this, that, and the other, and people went for it. Oh, I like this. Because, you see, it makes me look good if I can say, well, this German uh, theologian, you know, a very educated man, you know, he says this, and I agree with him. Oh, you must be well educated and, and think, oh, come on. What do we like? I'd rather listen to a fool who told me that the Bible is true. An educated person said, oh, no, that's, no, that's not, that's myth. That's fairy tales. My Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Now, I want to come to the final verse. You can read it for yourself. It's dreadful things. And, and this is a strange thing. Verse 22 is a little promise. Here's a little glimpse of light. The punishment of thine iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no more carry thee away into captivity. So, God says, it's been dreadful and you've deserved every single bit of it, but, but, I still love my people. I'm still the covenant God. And I will bring back a remnant to the land. And they will serve me. And God did. Most of the people he took away died in Babylon. Zedekiah was the man, the king in charge. And uh, he did some dread, dread bad things. And he said to Jeremiah on one occasion, is there a word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, yes, you're going to go into captivity. Well, isn't God, God going to send an army, uh, going to raise up an army, and, and isn't God going to do something? No. Nope. But isn't that a way out? No. Nope. You're just going to go. Oh, God won't do that. God has done in the past. He's delivered us. Yeah, no. Oh, out you go. And Zedekiah didn't like it. So he got some other prophets in. And they said, yeah, be fine. Peace, peace in our day. God delivers from people who say peace, peace, when there is no peace. And Zedekiah was taken in, uh, in chains before the, the armies in Babylon. And two things they did to Zedekiah. Firstly, they took his sons and killed them in front of him. And that was the last thing he saw, his sons being slain in front of him, because then they put his eyes out. How cruel is that? But here, the punishment of iniquity is accomplished. I have done what I have purposed to do, You've learned your lesson, and they did in one sense, that they never went back to idolatry when they came back to the land. Um, they went perfect, obviously, but God kept his covenant because God had promised way back that through this line, this Israel, there would come a Messiah, and his name was Jesus. And then, and I mentioned this because I thought of the first, I thought, he said, O daughter of Zion, no, we will no more carry the way that into captivity. He will visit thine iniquity. O daughter of Edom, he will discover or reveal your sins. Now, why is that added and what difference does it make? In other words, God says, right, I'm going to, Zion, I will deliver. <coughs> Edom, 
I'm not going to deliver, <coughs> and you're going to be punished finally. You think, why would that be of help to us? Well, it's, it's a strange argument, right? And follow it if you can with me. It's a strange argument. What God is saying is, I will do what I will do, and if I punish the wicked, then you will see that I do that, and that by doing it, I keep my word. And because I keep my word in the punishment of the wicked, you can be absolutely sure I will keep my word in the blessing of my people. Now, do you see that argument? In other words, uh, the writer is saying, listen, you can depend on, God is saying, uh, Jeremiah is saying, God has said, you can depend on him to do what he will do, whether in judgment or in mercy. And it's one or two, it's one or the other. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his series on Romans, when he comes to chapter 9, he's dealt in chapter 8 with assurance of salvation, and he's dealt with the eternal security of every true believer. It's a wonderful series there towards the end of Romans 8. And he goes into chapter 9 and deals with what some call the problem of Israel. And he deals with that in 9, 10, and 11. And his basis of it, you don't have to agree with it, but this is what he, he says, the basis of what happens there is to prove by God's covenant with ancient Israel and that he will eventually sort it out, that you can depend upon him to keep the security with his people. He'll not fail because some... He says, some will say, yeah, well, God has said this, that, and yeah, he keep them, yes, he tells the good, yes, yes. But he said the same to the Jews. But now the Jews, they're all gone, they're all lost. Oh, so it's got, so it's oh, God will deal with them. God will bring them. God will save them. God doesn't fail his promises in judgment or in mercy. And I'm glad to be able to tell you this morning as I bring this little miserable message to a close, that God is merciful and delights in mercy. He doesn't delight in judgment. All these terrible things that he's brought upon uh, the, the people of Israel, there's no, no delight there. Saying, yeah, 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 look at I'm suffering. Yeah, that's what I want. If you're a parent, you never, I trust, took delight in punishing your children. If you did, there's something wrong with you. I was in junior school, and there was a teacher called Mrs. James. And uh, I may have told some of you this previously. I was her pet. You can imagine that, can you? Ten-year-old, blue eyes, blonde. And I was her pet. But I was a naughty boy. And I did something that really upset her. She called me out the front, as they did. Took a ruler, as they did. This is not a ruler. Took a ruler and said, Colin, I'm going to punish you. It's going to hurt you when it hurts me. I said, yeah. And stick my hand at her. Whack, whack, whack. And she was crying. She really was crying. Tears were coming on her face. She had such an affection for me that although I was getting what I deserved, there 
no delight in it. God does punish his people sometimes. He chastens us. There's no delight there. He's not saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he delights in mercy. He laps in what he loves. Be merciful. His son, who knows him best, his son said, let me tell you a little story about a, about a son who wandered away. And he came back home. He repented of his need. And he came back home. And, and let me tell you what the father did. The father said, God said, oh, you're rubbish. Go and sleep in the barn. I don't want you in my house. You're smelling of pigs. His son said in this parable, this, this father put his arms around him and kissed him and loved him. And if I can put it colloquially, Jesus is saying, my dad's just like that. That's what my father's like. And in the, par- the other two parables, he talked about the rejoicing heaven. The angels say, yeah, yeah, hallelujah. You know, they dance about it, they dance about um, God delights in mercy. And that's why I'm able to say this morning, dear one, if you're not there yet, please, 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 call upon him. He'd be delighted to have you. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we've gone through this passage, and it hasn't been easy. And I realize that it's not been easy to preach, it's not been easy to hear, and it's not easy to apply it. But there are applications we need, we need to make. We need to search our own hearts and lives. And we live in lives that are contrary to your word. Is Jesus really precious to us? Is he important to us? How high up on the list is he? Do our lives show that he is number one? Or do so many other things become before him? Challenge us on that. We thank you, O Lord, that you never totally forsook your people. And those who truly believe you will never forsake. Hallelujah. We thank you that this is still as yet the day of grace, the day of mercy, and you will receive all who come to you, repenting of their sins and trusting only in the Lord Jesus as Savior. I've asked him, Lord Jesus, be my Savior and forgive me. Bless your word, Father, please, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn, which is, again, a challenge. Uh, I trust uh, we'll understand it. It's uh, number 213, 213. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall thy thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorns crown brown. Lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. Two hundred thirteen. King of 
of my life I cry.
Savior as you've sung that hymn. We trust that the words will sink deep into our souls, to our hearts, to our lives, lest we forget. Lest we forget thine agony and thy death and thy bitter pain for such as we. Lead us, Lord, to Calvary. And now with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father, the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rests and remain upon God's people here and everywhere. Shall we meet again and then forevermore?